And thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So now he becomes a, an importer of goods, and certainly there's tariffs on those imports of goods, and there's kickbacks that he gets because of uh, what, the lands that are going through and the routes that they're using. And so Solomon is becoming a very wealthy man. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. When we think of Solomon's great wealth, we also consider that he originally did not set his heart upon riches. He deliberately asked for wisdom to lead the people of God instead of riches or fame. God promised to also give Solomon riches and fame, and God fulfilled his promise. We also consider that Solomon gave an eloquent testimony to the vanity of riches as the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. He powerfully showed that there was no ultimate satisfaction through materialism. We don't have to be as rich as Solomon to learn the same lesson. Now here's Pastor Rob with the conclusion of chapter 10 in the book of 1 Kings. The other time it's mentioned is in Revelation 13, in verses 11 through 18, specifically in verse 18, because we remember that this is really just, uh, uh, this number is pregnant with foreboding, as it also represents the number of the beast that is coming yet future to us, after the rapture of the church from the earth. This man, the, the number of his name, there's going to be something about that, that, uh, that number that's going to be associated with a man. Okay, So don't worry about this stuff that's going on about the digital currency. That All that is is a setup for ultimately what is going to come. All you really have to do, folks, is don't, if you're, if you're concerned about it at all, which I don't think you need to, I mean, I mean, I'm concerned about the one world economy because I can see it happening and it's probably going to happen closer and sooner than we would like or think. But it's when they cause something to be in your hand or on your forehead, then just regardless of what it is, you just don't take it, right? And you don't make an allegiance to any man or any system or his government, all right? So you can read in Revelation uh, 13, beginning in verse 18, it says, Here is wisdom, speaking of this Antichrist. Here is wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. The beast is synonymous with the Antichrist, the man of sin. He has many titles, but this beast is the one that is going to have this control over all of European 
uh, governance. It's going to be the revived Roman Empire. And folks, if you're paying attention in your news right now, do you notice that the European Union right now, because of what's going on with Russia, they are uniting together now like never before because they don't want this oppression coming anymore. And so now what they do, in their minds, they think that they've got to unite and put all their differences aside and unite and have this strong force And do you realize that all they're doing is fulfilling Bible prophecy? Because at some point, this conglomerate is going to produce one world leader. We don't know who he is, but it's coming. It's coming. The Bible says it's coming. And are you ready for that? It may be coming, you know, things are happening so quickly and rapidly right now, my head is spinning. It really is. And I'm not one of those to look at, you know, look for the devil under every rock. I, I'm not like that. But when you see these trends that we have been looking at uh, through the book of Revelation a year ago, or, or almost two years ago now, as we've looked through that, and as we have been following that, it, it's all happening. It's all falling into place, folks. So I'm, more than anything else, I'm not even looking for a, a, you know, Trump back on the, <laughs> you know, in the presidency. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for Christ to come. That's what I'm more concerned about. I, now, don't get me wrong. I'm a patriot, and I love my country. I'd love to see uh, some... Uh, well, I'll just leave it there. I want to see my country restored. I do, because I love it. I got a dual citizenship. So do you. And it's stewardship. We need to take care of and, and do what we can to slow down the spread of sin. We need to be involved, but we also have this understanding that this earth is not my home. But guess what? We got dual citizenship. You happen to be born in America, and we've got blessed privileges. We've got a Bill of Rights and a Constitution. We've got much to be thankful for, and we must fight for that on our knees, and in the ballot box. It's important that we do that, right? But we also know our citizenship is in heaven. We have have a dual citizenship. And we have to be good stewards of both. And we have to be concerned about both. But notice, even though God had promised uh, Solomon great wealth, it's possible uh, that Solomon went way beyond. Remember in Deuteronomy 17, beginning in verse 14, God, again, speaking, to the children of Israel. He says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren, you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not. Notice this, because we're already seeing Solomon go south here. He's already made these decisions, and do you think that he'd never ever read this? No, he read this. I am sure that David and Bathsheba several times over his young life did nothing but read the law to him. Every Jewish male and female, every Jewish person would know these things. It would be part of their DNA. But notice what it says, God telling them, but he shall not multiply horses for himself nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall you multiply wives, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. 
We're going to see next chapter that that's precisely what happens. And yet these warnings, this accountability that God was giving to Solomon and everybody actually in the nation, he's giving them this accountability. And there's going to be no, there's going to be saying, I, I, I didn't know. God's going to say, oh no, Solomon. Do you remember last week we talked about the accountability that, Sol- that God had made sure that Solomon understood? David told him, God met Solomon two different times, told him, his father told him at least two or three times, and now he, he's doubly, triply, quadruply, quintuply accountable for these things. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. That's what, the, that's what it says. And so already Solomon has made decisions. You know, God was going to make him wealthy, and he did. But you know, there's a point where, you know, the heart never is satisfied. The flesh is never satisfied, is it? That's why these big billionaires, these guys like, you know, Elon and uh, people like Jeff Bezos, you know, there's always, once you get to that level, there's other fields to conquer. It's not good enough to just be the top five. It's like, no, I want to be number one now. It's just a pride thing. (laughs) For many, not for all, and maybe not for those two men that I mentioned. I don't know them, so I I really can't say. But it's possible. It's possible. So notice, besides that, from traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, from the governors of the country, and King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. These are some shields that you necessarily wouldn't go into war with. I mean, gold, unless it's mixed with other alloys, is going to be soft. You wouldn't go into battle with these. These would be more like for parades and to just show off, you know, to you know, say, look how good the Lord has been to us, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that as long as your heart's right in it. But these shields aren't necessarily going to go into battle. But we're going to find that later on the enemies are going to sack all that stuff and take it to Rome. They're going to take it to Babylon. And who knows where it's at now. Um, some of it's probably over in Baghdad in the museum. Some of it's probably in the floor, uh, the bottom floor vault of the Vatican. We don't really know where it came from or where it is. But he also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory, and he overlaid it with pure gold. And certainly he would get this ivory from, from the east as they would you know, uh, harvest the ivory from the tusks of, of elephants and other animals like that to, to get this ivory and overlaid it then with gold. And the throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was around the back, round at the back, and there were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had ever been seen of any other kingdom. And obviously these twelve lions uh, very likely represented the twelve tribes of Israel, and of course because Solomon is of the tribe of Judah, The lion was the symbol of the tribe of Judah. And so all King Solomon's drinking vessels, verse 21, were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years the merchant ships came bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and monkeys. 
And so King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Think of that. There was no one like him. No one like him. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And see, it's a time like that, and I think we can all relate to this, or maybe we can't, but I think we can understand. Put yourself in his position. It's a very careful time that you've got to be in when you're at that place. When you've been basically handed everything. I mean, think about it. Solomon really came into the kingdom with a silver spoon in his mouth. His, his dad, you know, David, had amassed everything to build the temple. He couldn't do it himself, but God had given him all the materials. He'd given him the blueprint of the thing. And now Solomon comes in, and he's basically just... And, and even David had the, the order of the servants, the, the priests, the orders, of the, the way that they would work. And he had it all, and he just basically handed it to his son and surrounded his son with all of his advisors. And they watched over him, and they groomed him, and then he became King Solomon. And God had given him great wisdom. What an amazing thing. What a privileged life. What a blessing it must have been. But those are times when we really have to be careful when we're spoiled like that. You know, because there is this sense of entitlement. There, there can be this sense of, you know, well, I'm, I'm, this has happened to me because I really am all of that. And I'm sure that the Lord was testing Solomon at different times to, to get his heart in alignment with God. And we'll see that next week he, he really starts to take a turn. And it's not unlike the nature of man. And I find it interesting, even the steps going up, there were six steps, because six is the number of man. If I were Solomon, I would have put seven, because that's the number of completion and the number of perfection. <laughs> you know, but he put six. I, I just, I'm curious of why that is. And, I, and this is a side note. Okay, this, this little tidbit's for free. Okay, you don't get charged for this. I noticed something the other day, it just kind of... Actually, it was about a year ago. I was walking up my staircase, and I noticed that there were 12 steps. And I thought to myself, I wonder if this is true in most houses. And it, and it is. Most houses are 12 steps. And I thought, about, I thought about that. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. So anyway, I'm sure that wasn't very valuable to you. So let's move on. So notice... Verse 25, each man brought his presents, uh, articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate year by year. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the different chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. Again, we just read that he wasn't supposed to do this, but he did it anyway. And Jerusalem was a chariot city along with, we believe, Hazor. It's spelled H-A-Z-O-R, but I I think it's pronounced Hazor, Hazor. So Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo is another chariot city. And when we go to Israel, like I said, we visit this, and you can actually see the stables. They've uncovered them, and you, you, you can walk right in them, and it's amazing to see the troughs, and you, you just it blows your mind to think that something like that is right there for people to see. But Megiddo and also Gezer, they're among the chariot cities that Solomon had. But isn't it interesting that just the, the, the nature of, of man, you know, Solomon 
knowing in his heart this was wrong, and yet his father wrote a psalm. Excuse me, Psalm 20, verse 7, it says this. This is one that we all know very well. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God, the name of Jehovah. In other words, some men trust in those things, but we're going to remember we are going to trust in the Lord. And I think that's a really wonderful thing for us to remember. Regardless of what you have, regardless of your abilities and skills, regardless of anything, remember the things that man trusts in let them have all of that but if we can say if we can say i trust the lord do we really trust him and i think it's it's usually in times of difficulty that our 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 our, our words are tested and he's doing that in my life too and i know he's doing it with you too and folks let me say something i i, I believe that in our country yet in the future here we're going to have to really trust the Lord a lot more than we do today. I believe that. So trust him. He's trustworthy. It may not go exactly the way you want. You may not even like the, what's happening or what could happen, what might happen. But you know what? We have to remember that verse. Who are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in the money that you've put in your account that's 20% of most of everybody's uh, IRA accounts just vanished recently. <laughs> right? Are you going to trust in that? Is it going to come back? Is it going to get worse? Don't really know. Not to scare anybody here, but who are you trusting in? Because you can trust the Lord. And we need to learn to draw upon Him. We need to trust in the Lord our God. The Lord our God. Verse 27, the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. And also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Kiva. Kiva is, uh, we believe, uh, is uh, Cilicia, where I believe where Saul was born. In that area in modern-day Turkey, uh, they believe is where this Kiva is. The merchants uh, brought them in Kiva at the current price. And now a chariot was imported from Egypt, cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So now he becomes a, an importer of goods and certainly there's tariffs on those imports of goods and there's kickbacks that he gets because of uh, what the lands that are going through and the routes that they're using. And so Solomon is becoming a very wealthy man. But we have to be careful of wealth, just to finish up here. Just be very careful of wealth. And again, if you're wealthy, praise the Lord. No one, you don't have to worry about anybody taking it from you. God is not saying you've got to give it all away. But use it for the glory of God, whatever that is. And don't let your heart get carried away. Don't set your heart on those things. The Bible says that riches have wings and they just fly away at times. And 20% of people's, some of their stuff has flown away recently, all right? It's flying away. But where is my trust? What is my attitude toward money, toward riches, toward those things? Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. 
If there's one thing we can remember tonight other than the obvious warning, it's to trust in the Lord. Let's grow in our trust of the Lord. And a lot of times I find, have you ever prayed for patience and then find that you're in situations where you find yourself really impatient? Could it be that God is turning up the heat in some things? Because I rarely get patient when things are not provoking me. But I learn patience when I'm pushed beyond my envelope. Remember that rubber band that I have in the and the thing up there, remember that? God, when, when everything is going well and I'm sitting back drinking iced tea and popcorn, my rubber band is not being stretched at all, right? And nothing is happening. But it's when I'm stretched and I'm going, oh my gosh, Lord, I'm about ready to lose my mind. I'm about ready to pick this hammer up off my tool chest and throw it at that thing or that person, right? Then you're realizing that your, 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 your patience is being exercised, and it's like a muscle. If it doesn't get exercised, you don't even know what you got in you. But oh my goodness, when you realize, I thought I was a patient person, Lord. And then all of a sudden you allow this thing. And so the same thing with trust in the Lord. We're going to have to trust him. I believe we're going to have to trust him more and more. It's a good thing to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Isn't that the exhortation from the proverb? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all of your ways. Trust in the Lord, he will direct your path, your paths. Let's stand together and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word, Lord, and how rich it is. And we thank you for how much we, we learn just by going through uh, the Old Testament. And, and we, we know that, Lord, you fashioned our hearts alike, Lord. We're no different inside than Solomon was. And, Lord, many of us w- would probably respond very similarly to the way Solomon did, uh, especially if your Holy Spirit wasn't indwelling us, Lord. Who knows what we would be capable of doing But God, we're thankful that you hold our hearts in your hand. And Lord, tonight I ask that you would give us right hearts. Um, Give us faithful hearts. Lord, help us to be good stewards with the things you've given us. Help us to trust you, Lord, in every single thing that goes on in our lives. To trust you, Lord. Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, you've proven over and over again even when your people went through very difficult times, even when the first century church was going through all of its persecution and all of its poverty, God, you provided for them and you helped them and you gave them something much more. Lord, I love what it says in Hebrews, Lord, that, Lord, of which these people that went through these difficult things, the world was not worthy of them. Lord, I pray that our faith and our trust in you would grow. And Lord, that we would be wonderful, loving ambassadors for you, Jesus. So we thank you. And just uh, grant us a, a, a good night, Lord. Get us home safely. Bless our day tomorrow. And help us, Lord, again, to trust you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.